Hey, it's Andrew Wilkow. Here's my opening monologue from today's Wilkow Majority on Sirius XM Patriot. The debate now is centering on something that I don't know if is, is purposely misleading or just outright wrong. And it's like every leftist on social media just can't bring themselves to accept the facts here, or is it they are just proud of the fact that a revolving door of people from government and big tech worked to manipulate the flow of information in the final days and weeks of the 2020 election. I know a lot of people are saying this is a First Amendment issue, First Amendment issue, First Amendment issue. You could say it's really not. What attracted people to Twitter initially was in their own words, Twitter was going to be the free speech wing of the free speech party. People who are professional journalists, citizen journalists, people who just wanted a place. One thing that the internet has done, uh, perhaps unintentionally, starting with things like MySpace. Remember MySpace? You didn't need to be a professional to have a page or a footprint or a place on the internet, right? Isn't that the whole thing with GoGoDaddy? It shows regular people how to set up what you, know, you could actually go back to, to Windows. Windows was a program, an operating system that allowed people with like really no computer skills to operate a computer. You didn't have to be a professional. You didn't really need to know a whole lot to work on a computer that was equipped with Windows. And as the whole interweb thing started to get going, who remembers, trivia question, early on, who was the most downloaded woman on the internet? A woman named Cindy Margolis. Nice Jewish girl. Started putting pictures of herself in a bikini up on, on the internet. And she became the most downloaded woman. I don't know where she is today. But 25 years ago, Cindy Margolis was everywhere on the internet kind of creating this new internet celebrity. Then we had the Drudge Report. All of a sudden, there was this website that was linking to stories that you might not find anywhere else. Now, why was that? Well, this was the beginning of the unraveling of bias in the media. Not the, I mean, you can go back to the Media Research Center back in the 80s. Brent Bozell used to tell the story. He'd sit and he'd have, you know, VCRs set up taping the major newscasts of the evening and then parsing through them looking for bias. They call that being a watchdog. But then along came something like MySpace. And all of a sudden, you could put up pictures from your vacation or your family dinner or tell people what your favorite song was or put pictures of yourself up that might have been risque a la Cindy Morgolis, Facebook, and eventually Twitter. This attracted people because you didn't have to be published, per se. You could publish yourself. I've pointed this out. You look at bands that create following on YouTube. And to an extent, honestly, Sirius XM. When people said, nobody will pay for radio. Remember that? Nobody will pay for radio. We were one of the first outlets to play Taylor Swift. We didn't have, we were able to break free from that tightly controlled focus group, consultant driven 
radio station playlist with all of the channels that we had. You know, I remember saying when I first got the job here, you know that thing that your local rock station might have an 80s metal weekend? We got an 80s metal channel. The world of information got democratized. So now basically any woman who looks halfway decent can get a following on Instagram by showing off her makeup tips or her, you know, her fit, right? And you see all of this stuff all over the place. Now, journalists might initially have thought, well, this is great. I have a new avenue to get my stuff out. The downside is now everybody can do it. So we have the the the, the, the storied blue check, which is also being more democratized. But the fact that, and if you look at broadcast media, what really differentiates live talk radio from a nightly newscast or opinion show is I give you a telephone number. You want to call in and be a part of the program? You want to join in? You want to say something? We give you that telephone number. Now, I'm not saying that from sitting up on high, like I gave you an opportunity to speak your mind. But talk radio was just that. It was, you know, it was for lack of a better way of saying it, a town hall. It could be sports talk. It could be political talk. It could be tradio. If you've ever heard of tradio, tradio is hard to listen to. Right? When I was at the University of Florida, Steve Spurrier had Coach's Corner, whatever the show was. It aired on the AM, the local AM station, and people would call in. Now, sometimes it was painful because I would sit across the hall at Rock 104, and there'd be Steve Spurrier sitting there. You know, in Gainesville, it went God, Steve Spurrier, and then everybody else. Steve Spurrier would have to sit there for like three hours on a Sunday. And he'd take calls like, hey, coach, uh, this is uh, this is Dale. I coach uh, Pee Wee football in Palatka. So I want to ask you a question about that call you made. And and then would just go on and, and, and armchair quarterback some decision that Steve Spurrier made. And he'd have to be polite about it. But you could see him sitting there like, you know, I'm coaching the Gators. Twitter looked at all all other social media opportunities, said, you know what? 140 characters, right? 140 characters. Speak your mind. A bumper sticker. Twitter became literally the bumper sticker of the internet. And if you were going to be good at Twitter, you had to be creative in 140 characters initially. So people were, I mean, people learned how to uh, communicate in abbreviations. We uh, The evolution of the hashtag. You know, 140 characters gives you an opportunity to, to link to an article and just have, you know, a one-sentence sarcastic take on it or hot take or whatever. We've been speeding up our attention span. TikTok does this. But I don't ever, I don't think it was ever a question. That when we say First Amendment, we mean the concept that for better or for worse, we mean people can speak their minds. Does that include people who are going to say terrible, awful things? Yes, it does. But if you free people to behave or to speak or to worship or to do whatever, the idea that you're only going to allow the things that are nice or popular. Well, that's not that those things don't need the freedom. Those things don't need freedom. We we were protective of our 
ability, our right as a people to speak our mind where we want, when we want it. Now it's true. Twitter is a private corporation. The question isn't, is Twitter a, is, does the First Amendment extend to Twitter? Do they not have the power to moderate the content on their website? Now you could argue, are they a publisher? Are they a platform? Are they a utility? Those are different arguments. What happened here, what we are seeing now, is that people in the government and a revolving door of people who used to work in government and have deep ties to the people who do work in government were obviously using their authority as a tool, a weapon to make content decisions or encourage content decisions that benefited one political party versus the other. So you have a city like Washington, D.C., which is owned and run by the left. The bureaucracies and the technocrats are the left in this country. You have big tech, where the overwhelming majority of people who work in big tech are also part of the left. And it's one thing if some over-emotional beta male nerd sits there and says, we were just all traumatized by what we saw on January 6th. And when that clip is going around, it's another thing when the Federal Bureau of Investigation or the Central Intelligence Agency says to these companies, we have intelligence that says this is Russian disinformation when in fact it is not. That is, that is the key here, that people in government sought to use their power to affect speech, to affect information, to affect its flow in order to, out, to affect the outcome of the election. Now, this idiotic notion from Baker, who was a lead counsel in the FBI, worked directly for James Comey, said this violated their hacked materials policy. There's just one problem with that. Not even Hunter Biden said that he was hacked. The campaign didn't even assert that. We know what happened. Hunter Biden, who has a substance abuse problem, left his laptop at a repair shop. He did not return to pick up the laptop. I don't care what you drop off. You drop off a car or on any electronic device to a repair shop after they've put in the time and labor to repair it. If you don't return, they are going to take possession of it. For it to be hacked, Hunter Biden wouldn't have had to sign something that says, no, you can't look into the data. But then again, how would you repair it if you couldn't get into the hard drive? So the individual that had this hard drive that had this laptop was viewing what looked to be like illicit communications related to illegal and illicit business dealings of the of Joe Biden's son, along with the you-know-what picks and other things that are on there. This got out thanks to the reporting of Emma Jo Morris at the New York Post. When this went viral, 
Twitter said, oh, hell no. Why did they say, oh, hell no? Because the government told them to say, oh, hell no. That's the government coming in and telling that private business, which all of a sudden, it's kind of laughable to watch all of these people on the left. It's a private business, private business, private business. It's kind of the same thing. My body, my choice until I order you to take a vaccine. That is not your body, your choice anymore. It's your body, my choice. And they will give you all the reasons why they, they differentiate that. The fact of the matter is they don't respect your body, your choice when they want you to do something. Even if it gives you myocarditis or the side effects of the vaccine are worse than just getting COVID. I have audio here. Trump-Biden debate. Joe Biden asserted there were 50-plus members of the intelligence community that would back up the claim that this was Russian disinformation. And now you have Democrats like Hakeem Jeffries who say, well, no, 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 we're going to block any attempt by Republicans to investigate this in the House. I don't know how he plans on doing that. Whatever. James Comer, who's going to be on my Salem News Channel for two segments tonight. We are going to be going over this at 5 p.m. live on the Salem News Channel. The demand by Republicans, if not publicly, privately, to see this this intelligence. Where is this intelligence? Where is the documented proof that the intelligence community believed that this laptop story was the work of Russian spies? Because if they don't have it, then that means they literally said, as the FBI, as the CIA, we are telling you not to allow this story to be public. And that had an effect on the outcome of the election. Wine 695 patriot 957 We are right. They are wrong. That's the end of the story. The arguments on this radio program cannot be broken. Sirius XM Patriot. You can join me live on the Wilkow Majority, Monday to Friday, noon to 3 east, 9 to noon west, on Sirius XM Patriot, channel 125.